Hey, Justin. Yes, David. I've come up with a way to save the TV industry. And what is that? A podcast all about TV shows and the people that make them happen. Good. When are we going to start it? Ten seconds ago. This is TV Show and Tell. Hello and welcome to a special episode of TV Show and Tell. I'm David Bodicum, but this week we'll be mainly hearing from my colleague, the format doctor himself, Justin Scroggy. He's been rubbing shoulders with the great and the good at MIP TV, a major TV market from which he sent back this report. So let's hear from him now. So here I am once more in Chan, a spring market called MIP TV, which stands for the International Market for Television Programs. It takes place every year out here in the south of France, and it alternates with the autumn market, which is called MIPCON. MIP TV is traditionally a smaller, quieter market, and this year it is certainly small and <laughs> quiet. Last year I was here, I reported from here, and uh, though it was small and quiet. It was directly after COVID restrictions had been lifted, so we were all very excited to be here and see each other and very keen to work together. This time it really ought to have recovered more from that, um, and frankly it is pretty quiet. A lot of the big names are not here. They've chosen to attend the London screenings that were last month and various other markets around the world. It's tricky really for a European market because Every other market in the year is annual, and people are willing to go to ATF in Singapore once, uh, or NAP in America, or whatever. Traditionally, we've gone to Cannes twice a year, but it really does feel as if that's um, ceasing to be a priority for a lot of players. Nevertheless, there has also been a, a positive vibe to it. A smaller, quieter market uh, with fewer meetings means that you get longer meetings of quality and the chance not just to catch up with people and gabble out the idea for a show or gabble out a service that you provide but actually a chance to sit down and have a proper conversation and perhaps skip a couple of meetings um, and actually get to the point of sale if you like. The Palais itself is pretty quiet. It's been quite substantially reordered in order to take account of the, the lower numbers but offer a a higher service in other ways. So the lower ground floor of the Palais, which is where all the smaller stands are, which is usually masses and masses and masses of corridors of stands from all over the world. The whole central part of that has been cleared away and replaced with tables and chairs and pot plants and rechristened the boulevard and is offering more places for producers and distributors and content creators and whatever to sit down within the palais and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee have a chat and do business rather than going out of the palais into many of the cafes around the place talking of the cafes around the place i think probably one of the biggest indications to me that things are quiet is cafe roma so cafe roma is an indoor and very outdoor cafe which is directly opposite the entrance to the palais it's traditionally a place for uh, doing quick meetings, drinking extremely expensive cappuccinos and enjoying a bit of sunshine away from the hermetically sealed palais. 
and normally at any market during particularly Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, it is heaving with delegates all wearing their lanyards. And I found it very noticeable that every time I walked past it uh, between my apartment and the palais, which was several times a day, at least half the people in there were not wearing lanyards. Um, you can look at that two ways. Either they're locals, and I think quite a lot of them clearly were, or they're people who decided to come to the market but not register because actually there was very little need to go into the Palais. Uh, you need to register if you want to go in. But I encountered quite a few people who had simply come to sit in the Café Roma and other places and uh, do their meetings without, without registering, which is not good for the... Organisers, obviously, um, who rely on the, that revenue. And that may have been the reason why they were attracting them inside the Palais to have coffee in the boulevard. Anyway, um, here I am, and I'm going to head out and see what I can see and report back to you. So to kick off, there were some familiar but new shows on sale here at MIP TV. Among them were Rise and Fall, uh, Studio Lambert for Channel 4, which is the reality competition where people are living in a high-rise block and are competing to rise up and down the social order within that block. There was In With A Shout, a game show that recently started on ITV in the UK. People are shown pictures and have to shout out uh, in order to identify what they're looking at. Also in there is Scared of the Dark, the social experiment, which is basically Big Brother with the lights off. And all over the front of the Palais was advertising for the piano. Regular upright pianos are placed in public places around the country. People sit down and have a go. What they don't know is they are in fact auditioning for a chance to perform at the Festival Hall in London. The piano got a lot of interest, though there was also some feeling that whilst it would make a great first season they couldn't quite see where else it was going and that some of the episodes whilst they were very moving felt a bit samey what was also interesting was that there was at least one other piano based format that seemed to have been rushed into paper uh, or into a sizzle uh, in order to compete with the piano but no doubt the piano will reign supreme Okay, so let's take a look at the reality competition genre. One of the hottest formats that was being promoted uh, here at MIP was Destination X. This is made by Geronimo for VTM in Belgium. Parked outside the Palais was a large black bus with Destination X written on the side of it. And that was to promote this show, which involves 10 contestants who set off on the road trip of a lifetime. Though they're in this lovely bus, the bus is completely blacked out, so they can't see anything outside it. At the end of each episode, the contestants get out and they need to mark where they think they are in Europe. However, there's a lot going on to try and mislead them and viewers as to where they actually are. So just because they get a piece of information, it doesn't mean that it's helping them. So a good example of that might be that the bus stops and a load of border guards get on. Uh, the border guards are speaking Italian, blah de blah, blah so they think well, they must be on the border of Italy, but it doesn't follow that they actually are. So what they've really got to do is to concentrate and to try and work out whether these are real or fake border guards. 
So as I said, at the end of each episode, they need to mark where they think they are. The contestant who places their X furthest away from the actual location has to leave the bus. The surviving contestants continue searching for the location, uh, and at that location is the host who's interacting with them from his command post there. It's um, a clever take on X marks the spot. It's a travelogue. I'm waiting to see whether the balance between trying to solve clues and being misled tips one way or the other, because in one direction it's a game and in the other it's a reality exercise. So they'll have to get that spot on uh, to make us feel happy about it. But nevertheless, uh, it got a lot of attention, a lot of promotion. I know it's being picked up by uh, the BBC, so we can expect to see it in the UK sometime soon. Sticking with things on wheels, I was quite attracted by Hot Wheels, the ultimate challenge. Now, you may remember as a kid, um, those small uh, toy cars that we used to have called Hot Wheels that were very souped up. And if you pulled them back, then they had a little engine in them that made them shoot forwards and you could race them around the, the carpet. So in this show from Endemol Shine North America, and Worker B and in association with Mattel. So in each episode, two Hot Wheels superfans are competing to turn a nostalgic car from their own past into a life-size Hot Wheels car of their dreams. And they get helped by automotive experts to do that. So the winner of the episode gets to take home $25,000 in prize money, which is not bad at all. In the finale, the three finalists make over another car, and what they're hoping to do is to win the ultimate prize. And the ultimate prize is to have their design made into an official Hot Wheels die-cast toy car. And that's quite a cool twist on the branded entertainment genre. And also, I just like the idea of going from the big to the small. You work on the big cars and you end up with the small one, rather than the other way around. I think that's quite neat. So that starts transmitting um, May of this year, and I guess we'll see whether it travels around the world. Now, of course, a staple of the reality competition is, of course, Bear Grylls, the climber and adventurer and chief scout, um, who's graced our screens in some uh, excellent primetime shows over the years. In this show, called I Survived Bear Grylls, he's taking a slightly different direction. So there are eight episodes, and in each one of them, we have what are called armchair adventurers. So people who previously, if you like, sat there and watched other people suffer on Bear Grylls shows. And this time, they're attempting to survive challenges that have been created by Bear. And these challenges, they say, will test their intelligence, their physicality, and their ability to adapt, and ultimately to do whatever it takes to survive. So the whole survival thing has been turned into a challenge game, which has been set by Bear, rather than running around with Bear. Obviously, he's on the show and he's joined uh, with a comedian as his co-host. The comedian is called Jordan Conley. So they're very much going for a, a more light-hearted, uh, less searing <laughs> type of show. And obviously, the final winner who's left on the show can stand there and say, I survived Bear Grylls. So let's look out for that.
Now, people who know me will know that I'm a bit of a Trekkie. I've always uh, loved Star Trek and I've loved most, if not all, of the um, more recent iterations of it, uh, particularly Strange New Worlds. Anyway, there's a new reality competition on Fox in the US, which I must say made me smile. It's called Stars on Mars. Now, as you probably know, there have been any number of formats presented at the markets over a couple of decades, which have involved members of the public training to be astronauts. And whilst they all sound great and they all promise to take people into space, none of them ever actually have done. So this is an unscripted series in which celebrities trade, live, eat, sleep and bond in a space station that's designed to simulate life on Mars, on the Red Planet. Clearly they're going for a light-hearted take on this because Mission Control is played by none other than Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. And here's a very nice line which I'd like to read out to you, which is this. Good news for our celebronauts. There's a new word for you. Celebronauts. Good news for our celebronauts from Mission Control. Thanks to lower gravity on Mars, you'll weigh 62% less. Bad news, the air is unbreathable. So if you're from LA, it'll remind you of home. So that's Stars on Mars, reality competition, premiering later in the summer on Fox. So let's talk about game shows now. There weren't a great deal of game shows at the market this time. I'm not entirely sure why, though I suspect it's a reaction to the end of COVID because following on from COVID, we had a lot of studio-based game shows and now we have a lot of exterior location-based reality competitions and adventure competitions. Everybody wants to get outside, get traveling, get out in the fresh air. And so the kind of studio game show has taken a bit of a backseat in development and therefore at the markets themselves. Amongst the crop, however, there was a few that stood out. One of them is from BBC Studios and it's called Breaking Point. So what you have to imagine for this is watching a balloon being inflated by somebody uh, right next to your ear and having to decide at the moment you think the breaking point is. So predicting the exact moment when it's going to explode. They've taken that idea and they've applied it to a whole load of different kind of studio-based challenges. So you've got two teams of celebrity duos and in front of them various objects will build up to the moment where they're going to explode or break or crash or smash or whatever and they've got to predict that exact moment was going to happen. If they're too early they're in trouble, if they're too late they're out of the game. Obviously what's attractive about this show is that it has a series of big moments, a series of, of key things that we're building up to. It has a lot of tension and perhaps more importantly, it's ideal for turning into video clips to put onto social media. The big question is whether something that's based on a series of relatively short moments can stretch out into a commercial one hour show and also whether you can keep on doing either the same things or new things in every episode. But it has instant appeal. I can see it working for the whole family, which is the golden aim at the moment. So um, keep an eye out for breaking points. Also from the BBC is a show called Hack Attack. This is a short form game show, which is probably a good thing 
bear in mind it's content. It involves two brave celebrities in each episode. They go into the hacker's lair and they hand over their phone. They're now going to take part in a pop culture quiz. But what is at stake is the contents of their phone. So at the beginning of the quiz, their phone is 100% safe. But with each wrong answer, the defense rate of their phone is lowered and allows the hacker to get access to more things on their phone. Embarrassing pictures, funny videos, secret shopping habits or shocking search histories. So it feels like a round in Michael McIntyre's big show and hang on, it is a round in Michael McIntyre's big show. Hmm, only that, both made by the BBC, who knew? So to my last selection from the game show genre. So as you may have become aware from our various podcasts, Belgium is becoming the go-to place for a whole host of formats over the last couple of years. Once again, a, a very small country with a small population is proving to deliver some of the most interesting formats out there. Previously, that happened with Holland and it's happened with Israel and now it seems to be happening big time with Belgium. So there's lots of eyes looking over to see what's coming out of that country. And one of them is called the Golden Egg. So the Golden Egg is a take, if you like, on the price is right. It's trying to find the most valuable item that is worth quite a lot of money amongst a sea of 100 objects. In the studio, there are 100 different objects, each of them placed on a podium. And in each episode, these items are themed differently or come from a different period of history or whatever. There's two contestants and they've got one hour to go through all the objects in the studio. Each round, they've got to select one item to lock in. Once they've got five items, they've then got to start eliminating them until they've got one left. And that's the one that they believe has got the highest value, right? Finally, the item that they've chosen, um, the value of that item is revealed and that value is relates to their cash price. If they've got the golden egg, that's great. If not, the host then dramatically reveals which of the hundred objects in the studio has the highest value and it's in fact the golden egg. So it's quite fun, it's quite play along, it's visual and I can see that it's something that could uh, actually travel quite neatly uh, in daytime access prime time around the world. And it's always worth remembering that the formats that we're massively aware of are those that play in prime time and cost a lot of money. But a lot of the formats that just travel quietly around the world and, and uh, stack up a great deal of sales are ones like this that just play cleverly and neatly in daytime or access prime time slots. So, actual entertainment. You might have thought that there really is nothing left to do in the property entertainment program genre. And to be honest, I'm pretty sure that's true. But there is a nice format out there from uh, Loud People uh, in Denmark, who's a great company, called 100 Years for Sale. So you've got two brokers who are competing and they've got to sell 10 houses that collectively have been on the market for more than a hundred years. So each picks five and they've got 10 months to sell these challenging and often very rundown houses. They've got a small budget to make renovations and market the houses however they wish. 
So it's a nice idea. It's got nice numbers in it. And it's actually quite a nice way of bringing these houses back into, into the market as well. Jennifer Lopez has executed a show called Thanks a Million. This is from Sony Pictures Television. It's basically celebrating people who've made a positive impact on others through acts of kindness. So it's a bit like a, well, it is in fact a chain. You start off with a celebrity who gives a large sum of money, in this case $100,000, to an unsuspecting individual who they think deserve it. And that person must then give away half that money to somebody else they know who they feel really deserves it. And the chain then continues until the massive of money has been given out. So it's basically a kind of play it forwards type of type of show. Um, if I was taking part or if I was considered as to being one of these people, I do hope that I'm quite high up the chain because halving 100k gets down to some small figures quite quickly. Um, so <laughs> I'd much rather get 50, 50k than about $800. But there we go. Um, that's called Thanks a Million. Next on my list is a rather weird show called Don't Panic, which when I read it made me panic. It's a Red Arrow show for Channel 11 in Israel, and it's all about surviving the apocalypse, really. So you've got a journalist and a comedian, and what they're trying to do is to uncover the facts and offer a, a kind of guide to surviving an emergency. They examine each topic via a comedy sketch using state-of-the-art special effects. And they also meet experts and people with first-hand experience of managing the threat, as well as survivors. And cheery topics include petrochemical or nuclear disasters, overpopulation, extreme weather, and cyber attacks. So, if you want to approach those topics, but in a comedic way, um, with some real content underneath, then look out for Don't Panic. Also in a slightly weird category, and I actually wrote this down as uncategorizable on my, uh, on my notes, it's a show called Keep Talking, I Love It. But this is from NBC in South Korea, and they've called it the MMA of the tongues. Okay, just hold that thought for a few moments. Okay, done that, jolly good. Right, so this is a storytelling battle with eight contestants who are called the Tongue Fighters. They stand on a stage decorated with a sort of luminous MMA fighting ring. And on stage, they have five minutes each to unfold a compelling and original story, which is aiming to capture the attention of the audience. However, just as each story reaches its climax, it is halted. And then the 100 strong studio audience vote for the story that they wish to listen to further. Now, if you find that it's unbearable not to know how the other stories ended, then of course you can go to the show's website and the broadcaster's website and hear the rest of the story. Very different. I love the, uh, the borrowed imagery of mixed martial arts. So, um, <laughs> let's see if that pops up in other countries. So, probably the most prolific genre um, of the last few years has been the dating show. And I must say that I feel like I've reached 
optimum dating show that there just cannot be another way of doing this. Of the selection that I've got for you, I must say that some of them have gone to a very strange place. I thought I'd start with the most mainstream, if you like, and head towards the weirdest. So, let us start with Stranded on Honeymoon Island. So this is from Snowman Productions, and Snowman Productions are famous for having created Married at First Sight, one of the most successful formats to travel the world in recent years. So rather cleverly, they brought Married at First Sight and Survivor together into one format. So you've got four couples, they get married after meeting for the first time, there's a kind of 30 second speed date that leads up to that. The difference is that now they're left to fend for themselves all alone on a deserted island, which obviously puts their brand new relationship under a great deal of pressure. So we see them struggling, trying to get to know each other at the same time as trying to build shelters, food, all the usual survivor type things. And in the final episode, they are sailed back from the island to civilization separately given 24 hours to think about it and record a little film about how they feel about the other person. So they see a film of appreciation from the other half um, and then finally there's a decision-making ceremony where each of them needs to declare whether they want to continue to be married or not. So it's very visual. It puts a new twist on the sort of survive on a desert island thing because these are brand new married couple who are effectively complete strangers. They're actually trying to build a relationship, so that gives that a new twist. And yet it's still got that same married at first sight kind of wraparound story. Very clever, got a lot of interest, a lot of attention, and I'm sure we're going to see that around the world. Getting slightly weirder, we come to Wait For You. That's Wait, W-E-I-G-H-T. Now, this is from Format East in South Korea. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure if it's ever been made or whether this is still a paper offering, um, because Format East come up with a lot of paper formats. I thought I'd mention it anyway. So you've got five men um, who are hoping to meet some beautiful women. They've got two problems. First of all, they're severely overweight. And secondly, they've got to get through a narrow tunnel which connects the male and female accommodation in order to either meet the beautiful women or entice the women to come through the tunnel to meet them. In order to do that, they've got to lose enough weight to get through the tunnel. There's so many things wrong with that that <laughs> I really can't, can't be bothered to lay them all out for you because I'm sure they've all gone through your head as well. But there it is, wait for you dating show. Okay, if you thought that was strange or tasteless, um, this gets worse. So we're now, we're still in South Korea, we're still from the same company. This time it's called Mum's Boys. So basically we've got mothers who are in search of their daughter's date. And in order to do that, this is what they do. They dress up as their daughters and attend high school for five days. And each day, one of the mothers asks one of the boys out for a date and discusses the experience of that date with their daughter in the evening. After five days, the daughters have to choose one of the boys based on what they've heard. 
The mothers then reveal their daughter's name to the chosen boy and suggest an overnight weekend trip with their daughters. And if when the bus gets back, the boys and the daughters are together, then the mother's plan was a success. So, again, let's just go back a bit to this. The mothers dress up as their daughters, go to high school and go on dates with boys that they think their daughters might go out with. Hold that thought. That's also on paper, I think. And to be honest, let's hope it stays that way. Finally, and if you think that couldn't get any weirder, I bring you For the Love of Dilfs. For the Love of Dilfs. So this is a dating show from Out TV. And it professes to combine two groups of, quote, the internet's favourite gay archetypes, himbos and daddies. It's produced by Daddy TV and it premiered in January. And possibly the only reason this got any kind of noise at the market is it is presented by Stormy Daniels. So as we all know, Stormy Daniels is currently involved uh, in um, some issues with Donald Trump in the States. <clears throat> so here is a quote from Stormy, which I will leave you with. I was brought here by Dr. Dilf, a mysterious gay relationship expert, to help these singles find the man of their dreams. I know it sounds kind of weird, but hey, the check cleared, and I love a good check. So here I am. So yesterday I attended a session in the palais called What Do Streamers Want? Now usually when you get a session with a title like that, the one thing that you can guarantee you will not know by the end of it is what do streamers want. However, this was presented partly by uh, Guy Bisson from Ampere, who are terrific uh, media market analysts. And typically Guy gave extremely clear a list of what streamers want, which I thought I might share with you. So first of all, what do streamers want? They want less than they used to. This is because, as you may be aware, the streamers are struggling, the subscription model is starting to buckle, and they are reining in their budgets big time. So not only are they commissioning less, they're also spending less money on it. Which brings us to number two, what do streamers want? They want more bangs for their bucks. In other words, the days of the kind of gravy train of going to the streamers because they've just got loads and loads of money and are happy to spend it, those days are over. Which is probably a good thing because it is never a guarantee of quality. As we've all seen, there have been some very expensive flops on the streamers. What else do streamers want? They want something unscripted. So this has been a real sea change and really helpful for those of us in the unscripted side of the business. Up until now, drama has dominated and the unscripted space on the streamers has been pretty random, to be honest. It's very hard to see any kind of strategy or sense of a cohesive content plan. However, one of the things Guy told us was that now one in two commissions from the streamers are unscripted. So this is a massive growing area. What is also potentially about to happen in America is a writer's strike. So these are the people who write drama, who write scripted series, 
who are going on strike uh, because the revenue that they're getting from the streamers is uh, pitiful compared to what they've got in the past from the broadcasters and that's due to uh, very different business practices essentially rather than commissioning uh, entire writers rooms to make long series the streamers just want to commission a few writers a head writer and a couple of others and bring in any more people as and when they need them um, what they've also been doing is not running series endlessly on the streamer so you may have noticed that some shows have started disappearing and because they've disappeared that means that they don't have to pay the writers who wrote those episodes residuals as in ongoing fees for transmitting and broadcasting the shows all of that is having a pretty devastating effect on the script writers in america the screenwriters um, and they're very unhappy with these new business practices and are threatening to go on strike. Now, the last time this happened, which was, I think, 2007, uh, there was a massive writer's strike in America. It lasted for 100 days, and it is credited with having really boosted the whole reality television phenomenon. Yes, there were reality shows around before then, but this massive dent in the schedule left by all these dramas that were not written and therefore not made had to be filled by people who you didn't have to pay for enter a vast tranche of reality shows which we're still living with today i have great sympathies with the writers of america and screenwriters deserve every penny they get but i must say that if on the unscripted side we could benefit at least a little bit from the bonanza of having to fill all those hours with quality television i'll be pleased about it what else do the streamers want they want something long-lasting. Now, this is interesting because up until now, the subscription model has not been a good one for longevity. If you create a format, the, the main thing that you want is for it to last more than one series, ideally two, three, four, five, or you know, to run for years. But what we found thus far with many of the streamers is that they're not actually very interested in longevity. Why? Because the subscription model says you need to keep finding new subscribers all of the time. You cannot stand still. And that has led them to believe they have to keep offering something new to keep people on their streamer and also to attract new people. So they move on to a new unscripted show quite quickly. Now we're being told that they want something that is long lasting particularly in the entertainment and reality space, which I, you know, I can't tell you how different that is. That's a complete turnaround. And maybe that says something about the arrival of advertising that's coming to most of our streamers, because advertisers want shows that they can build a, a story around, and that really doesn't work with new series all of the time. So long-lasting is good, and obviously long-lasting formats go very well together. What else do streamers want? They want something exclusive, which tells us that channels are beginning to realise that viewers have very little brand loyalty, partly because there really is no brand identity to the content. I showed you a drama a series that was on Amazon and asked you, is it on Amazon? Is it on Netflix? Is it on Hulu? Unless you know, you probably couldn't tell me. So now, I think they're starting to think we need to make things that are exclusive and that say something about us as a streamer. 
Streamers want something fast. Fast stands for free ad-supported streaming television. So this is, if you've seen fast channels, they're like really linear TV programs that stream all of the time. They're just on at particular times of day and they're free to watch. Um, and these are very attractive to streamers. However, Guy also came up with a couple of facts that I thought were very interesting about fast channels. Even though there are so many of them and they're the fastest growing area of our business, 60% of them are based on a single show franchise. So they're all episodes of Friends. They're all episodes of Come Dine With Me. They're all episodes of Got Talent. And even the ones with mixed content only have a maximum of 13 different shows in a week. From a creator's point of view, I'm not particularly excited about fast channels because pretty much everything I've ever seen on a fast channel has previously been made. And it seems to me it's just an outlet to dump your library of content in a way that can pick up some revenue. But apparently the streamers are looking for it. The streamers want something Asian, which is at the moment the hottest new market for streamers, uh, particularly South Korea. You may have seen that uh, Netflix have made, just made a massive investment into Asian, new Asian content, particularly from Korea, because it is doing so well, it's attracting audiences way, way beyond its borders or even its region of the world. A lot of it is very, very high quality and it has, and it's different as well. It's got a different narrative shape to it. So people get very excited about it. Um, so they're looking for that. They're looking for something theatrical, as in things that they can also release in cinemas. And they're looking for something that is adapted. In other words, something that is utilizing existing IP, which is, again, interesting for the formats business that they're actually, rather than just originating shows, they're looking to make their own versions of existing formats, which is good for us because that means they have to license rather than keep all the rights. So if you're sitting at home trying to come up with ideas for streamers, that is apparently what they want. Thanks very much to Justin for that report. We'll be back very soon with a new season. If you want to comment on anything in today's show or have any questions about the TV industry you want us to cover, you can contact us on Twitter at TV Show Podcast or email us via contact at tvshowandtell.com. But for now, from Justin and myself, that's been TV Show and Tell. <laughs>